0: Sarah and Davis have chosen to write their own vows. So, Sarah. I promise to care for you and love you our entire life. I promise to be your best friend. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just be saying best friend, okay? Pete's my best friend. Hold up. I thought I was his best friend. We've been through a lot together. Gosh, we have been through so much together. Second grade was really rough for us. I remember when he fell off the monkey bars. I mean, he gave me his fruit roll-up. I mean, I gave him my fruit roll-up. That was like... (sighs) I hope he knows that he's my best friend. Our friendship has survived so much. (laughs) You think that this is gonna divide us? I promise to be your most loyal friend. I'm loyal too! She is confusing me so much right now. She is my wife, he is my best friend. Who's the best friend here? Who? As this journey of life completely changes us, we'll be together forever. Dude! 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 Aw, he's crying. <laughs> I'm gonna have to be gluten-free. Oh, man, dude, you go gluten-free, I have to be gluten-free. And I don't want to be gluten-free, man. Oh, it's the end of an era, Davis. <laughs> it's the end of an era. Yes, I am crushing these vows. I would like to object right now, but I want to do it at the right time. Please don't do it, Pete. Look, I'm going to object. I'm going to object. My hand's going up. My hand's going up. It's going up. I object. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give it up for the bumper video. Oh, man. (laughs) Welcome to week two of What Happy Couples Know. not sure if that's a statement or a question, but we're diving into it. Uh, Before we jump into our sermon today, I want to remind you, we're two weeks out from our couples workshop uh, called uh, He Said, You Said, They Heard. And it's about conflict and resolution, and not fighting, but intense fellowship. And so we, we could all use a tune-up in our marriages and our relationships. So we call it a couples workshop because it's for folks that are dating, engaged, uh, or, or married. And so we have, we have uh, couples at our church that are uh, getting ready to celebrate their 50th anniversary this summer, and couples that are going to get married this summer. So we would love it If uh, we had a full spectrum of people that are maybe dating, engaged, married, been married for uh, a long time, Uh, so we encourage you to sign up for that today. It is fifty dollars. It does cover breakfast, snacks, content, and praise the Lord, childcare, right? And so we, (laughs) we, yeah, that alone, right? Yeah, free date day. We'd love for you to sign up. For that as well bob and carol miller uh, will be presenting that workshop bob's uh, on staff at restoration house ministries the organization that planted us uh, 18 19 years ago as well as christian churches throughout new england uh, and he's just a baller uh, carol is amazing she's a professional counselor they're a great team they're fun they're loving bob is high energy and carol brings them in. Uh, so it, it's a great couple, great dynamic. You're going to learn a lot. This isn't a sermon. No one's going to preach at you, but uh, it'll be great and insightful to learn kind of where you're at and how to help manage conflict resolution. And you get to meet other awesome new families that have been coming the last uh, last two years. So I encourage you to sign up. Um, we, uh, we also asked people if you'd be willing to email us a photo of you and your spouse on your wedding day or maybe like a favorite couple date night photo and would you give us uh, some relationship advice and we want you to tell us what you think happy couples know and uh, to say that you came through would be an understatement Uh, we've really enjoyed some of the photos and some of the advice uh, and uh, we, were, we were honored and encouraged, and we also laughed a lot. And you guys are awesome. So the first couple uh, I want to introduce to you today is uh, Jason and Darcy Dubois. And they had some pretty solid advice. They say, uh, seek God, have fun, uh, be transparent, stay pure in your marriage, and never give up. Some good, solid advice. Uh, however, uh, <laughs> Jen and Steve Lacasse uh, sent in their photo. It's, it's good advice. Jen said above all other relationships we've learned to honor our own friendship and love first after 15 years together we're still best friends and can say that though we've been through the darkest of times our love for each other is stronger as each year passes we believe that God brought us together for a purpose and we compliment in ways only he could have designed to which Steve says do what the wife says life is so much better yeah Short to the point, right? Right, men? <laughs> Someone said, preach it. I'm done. Let's go to lunch. Uh, the last the last couple that submitted a photo, and you can decide who submitted the advice, is Paul and Marie Hallie. Uh, Maria Halley. Maria Halley, and their advice, I think it might have been one-sided, always let him think he is the one calling the shot. So you can decide who, who said that. In in week one last week, I brought a a box out. I'm not good at crafts. It fell apart. But on one side of it, it said, my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. Everybody brings hopes, dreams, and desires into every relationship, whether it's a friendship, dating relationship, working relationship. We all have hopes, dreams, and desires. And a lot of that in our relationships like dating and marriage really is formed uh, in our childhood. So really exploring your family of origin and the way love was given and received or not given, maybe it was withheld, matters greatly to what you put in your box and what you decide your hopes and dreams and desires. Because if you had a negative experience growing up as a kid, you probably say things like, I don't ever want this in my marriage. And so we said last week, what happens over time or through an event, our box, we turn it on our spouse and say, my hopes and dreams and desires, well now, now they're expectations. And when we place in the hands of another person our hopes, dreams and desires, it becomes expectations placed on the other person, right? Oh, I was so in love with you when you said you wanted to have five kids and a white picket fence and you know this you know big of a house, and but now after one kid, you can't even handle that and, and now you're done. You said that we could have a big family. Or you said that I could stay home at work, uh, stay home and raise the family, and and your income would be enough for us to thrive. You know that I've always wanted to pursue my master's, and now we're living visa to visa or pre-paycheck to pre-paycheck, forget paycheck to paycheck, and we quickly turn our hopes, dreams, and desires on the person we're supposed to love the most and demand of them our expectations out of them in the relationship. And one of them could be like a debt-debtor relationship where we say things like, you owe me. You told me our marriage would be this for our preferred future, and I agreed on that. And now it's not, that's not the reality. So you owe me what I want in our marriage out of my box. And another expectation would say like, would say something like this, if you owe me money, you can't give me money. And if you owe me something, you can't give it to me, but if you give it to me, I'm still going to wonder, is it enough? Right? In healthy marriages, the gaps between arguments should be filled with trust. But when we turn hopes and dreams and desires on our spouse, they become expectations and trust doesn't fill the gap. Distrust fills the gap. And this dynamic, man, seriously, it makes it impossible to recognize and receive love if you don't trust your spouse. You will question his or her motives and you don't know is this something they're doing out of love or something that they're going to use on me later in the day, week, month, or a couple years down the road. So how do happy couples avoid turning hopes, dreams, and desires on their spouse and demand expectations? Well, happy, here it is. If you don't remember anything, remember this. Happy couples owe each other everything uh, and are owed nothing in return. Let me say that again. Happy couples know that they owe their spouse everything, but yet do not demand anything in return. If I want to love and serve my wife, I do that because I love her. It's a gift. And if she wants to reciprocate that, hey, awesome. Now, I will say this pastorally. If you're always giving, 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 and never receiving, we need to have a conversation. All right, because that's a different kind of, that. that's not love, right? That could be dominance or you subjugating yourself so your spouse doesn't blow up on you. But happy couples know that I owe my spouse everything, and yet I won't demand anything in return because I want to love them, listen, listen, the way they want to be loved, all right? My idea of my wife showing me love is a day at Fenway. She would be bored out of her mind if I got her tickets to Fenway. Now, she likes baseball, but not nearly as much as I do. She likes other things, right? If she loves to paint, she's a great artist. If she said, for your birthday, I'm going to give you a night in Manchester to do a painting class. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? That is, I would yes, thank you, dear, right? right. We're giving and receiving love the way our spouse wants to give and receive love, right? Because happy couples know that it's mutual. And Christian marriage is a submission competition, right? You come home, give your spouse some flowers, and they look at you and say, how dare you? I'm going to repay you by taking you to Europe for a week. You're like, awesome. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to take you to Vegas next weekend. It's this Constant loving and appreciation and serving of your spouse. Now, you might think that's normative, but that, that is mind-blowing. We're going to discover in the first century in just a moment. Jesus said it this way of how we should do relationships. He called it a new command. Now, the first half isn't new, but you know how preachers are, right? Is it, give, give me the truth here, right? Jesus says, a new command I give you, love, uh, love one another. That's not new. Here's what's new, though as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, that's different, because the way Jesus loves people wasn't normative in the first century. For example, right, he's with his uh, disciples, and he goes, hey, hey, Peter, remember in, uh, well, obviously the Bible wasn't been written, but hang with me. Remember in John 4, when we met the woman at the well? Yeah. And remember how you were so hungry, you had to go into town in Samaria and hit up a Chick-fil-A because why wouldn't you? It's ordained by God uh, to come back and bring me lunch. And then you were so arrogant and indignant and judgmental that I was talking to a female and getting to know her and seeing where her heart, yeah, I remember that. Love people that way. Hey, hey, guys, remember when I, uh, <laughs> remember that one time I went into, into church, they would have called it the temple, and uh, these religious people were overtaxing the poor people by saying, you need to get a better animal to sacrifice to come and worship me? Yeah, yeah, Remember how I went in there all Chuck Norris style and I cooked, kicked tables over and took names? Yeah, treat religious people like that because religious people love religion. They don't like people meeting me. Love people the way i poured into you over the last three years. In the same way, that's how you do your marriage. The way I have loved you, the the quiet moments that you are learning uh, in in singleness uh, about the joy of a relationship with me, take that into your relationships, in your dating life, in your engagement, and even uh, in your marriage. Now, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today in Ephesians chapter 5 that our that our culture, I mean, it just it splits culture down the middle. I I, I wonder though, <clears throat> because of what it talks about. Uh, it, there's a popular word in this text called submission, and and, and Paul's going to basically define um, gender roles in relationships and marriages. And and for a long time, this is kept. Uh, a lot of my female friends away from the church because they, they, they tend to think it's very patriarchal, that men are in charge of everything, and women just need to be silent, which I was like, you need to come visit some of our women at RCC. They're awesome. They're anything but that. And Paul wrote Ephesians 5 because it is completely different than how the Roman Empire did marriage and relationships in the first century. So let's get at it. Ephesians 5.21, Paul says this, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For, husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior." Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit uh, to their husbands in everything." Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. Cle- like, this is our job, guys, to make our wives holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but it will in a few minutes. And present her to himself as a radiant church. Like This is our job, men, as husbands, present our wives to the Lord in their full, flourishing capacity right? Like, you have to give guys responsibility, because we're like empty cargo trucks. If you don't put any cargo in our trucks, we're just going to do this down life's road, right? We're just going to swerve all over the place, and responsibility is a gift for men. Presenter her as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, and in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, If uh, I invited, which would be weird and kind of cool, if I invited women in the Ephesian church to RCC in 2019, and all of the Ephesian women were sitting on this side, and all of women in 2019 were sitting on this side, this side would be appalled at the fact that Paul would say anything that a woman should submit to a man. This side would say, yeah, that's nothing new, like you didn't blow my mind. See, here's why. In the first century, women were property. They were an endowment. They were a possession to be owned. And in the first century, if your husband died or divorced you uh, or or whatever, you you basically had two options. Uh, Do I want to prostitute myself or do I want to beg for money, food, clothing, and shelter? Women, in effect, were uh, second-class citizens in the first century. And they didn't have a lot to say. And so, for the fact that Paul would write, "Wives submit to your husbands," that was like nothing new. That wasn't liber- Like that wasn't that was normative because women did not have another choice, right? And so, Paul is writing to a very uh, an antagonistic culture, which you're going to find out here in a second. In verse 22, Paul says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord." Here's the thing, though: in the Greek, the word "submit" is not there there is no Greek word for submit in verse 22. It is inferred, but where the word submit actually comes into is verse 21, the verse before it. And this is, this is how Paul is setting up Christian marriage. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, all, or reverence means all for Christ, not for one another. Now, I was having, uh, I, I go to a coffee shop every Monday and, to do uh, sermon content writing. And there's these two gals, I think they're in their 20s. One was getting married and the other one was super excited for the friends. So a lot of high-pitched squeals, screams. A lot, a lot of great conversation going on. And, and the one friend that wasn't uh, getting married said, man, marriage, I bet, is gonna be awesome. Your husband is gonna be your whole world. To which when I told my wife that when I got home, she started laughing, right? <laughs> Come to find out, spouses make terrible gods because they're like humans. To which Paul says... Submission starts with the husband and the wife before they even start dating. See, in the Greek, submission means to place yourself under someone or something. Um, I'm not a fast kid, but I love playing dodgeball. Uh, If you think submission is a primitive idea, let me throw a dodgeball at your face, right? Hello, submission is actually for our protection, And it keeps us under the teachings and the law and the love of Christ. This is not what the Ephesian men were doing. And this was not what some of the Christian Ephesian men were doing in the church. They were still looking at women as property. Now, Plutarch, a historian writer in his volume, Advice to a Bride and Groom, says this, so beautiful, and control ought to be exercised by a man over the woman, not as the owner has control over a piece of property, but as the soul controls the body, by entering into her feelings and being knit to her through good will. will. Ladies, Rome and religion declared women to be property, but Jesus in his kingdom declares you to be precious. This is why marriage is a submission competition, where basically men are not to dominate or be domineering over their wives. They are to be gardeners of their wives' soul. And you can't lead a woman or anybody to the heart of God if you're not going there yourself. This, this Bible, it, like this is a joke. It's all, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if a husband and a wife is not willing to submit themselves to the teachings of Jesus. Now, not every marriage starts out on this foot. I get that. But priority number one, I'm thinking if you're going to date somebody is, are they submitting to a God yet? Do they go to church anywhere? Are they figuring this out on their own? Who, who, are, or are they, in a typical American humanistic fashion, are they just going to do whatever they want and figure it out on their own? Problem is, stuff's gonna happen in your life and in your marriage. And if you're not submitting to someone higher than you, you are the only one that's left to figure out your problems. And this is why Paul's saying is that marriage is a submission competition between the husband and the wife, and that women are not property to domineer, to be domineering towards or dominate over, but women in marriage are meant to be loved and served the way Christ loved and served us, even on the cross. You think about this, Jesus claims to be God, okay? He claims to be God, and how does Paul define his leadership in Philippians 2? He considered equality with God uh, not something to be grasped, but became a servant, and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. You never saw Jesus on social media saying, I'm God, follow me, or I'll unfriend you and send you to hell, Jesus took all of the authority that a God would have, because he like is God, and he used it to love and serve us. How much more, men, do we need to have that approach in our marriages? So let's talk about how men lived in the first century. This is a picture of Artemis. She's the goddess of fertility. Yep, whatever you thought happened in your mind, that's how they worshiped her. You see, Artemis was one of the many gods and goddesses in the first century. Again, what, this is why Rome doesn't care if you're a Christian. This is why uh, Pilate didn't care if Jesus was God or not. He just wanted to save his political career. There's a lot of crazy people that are on the outskirts of Rome that say, I'm going to overthrow, the, you know, d- yeah, nothing new. In the first century, this was primarily the goddess that would have been worshipped in Ephesus. And the way you worship Ephesus is that men, this is, this is, it is what it is. I'm here to teach you the Bible. Men would, gosh, men would leave their home, right? Would just say chicken nuggets with barbecue sauce and say, honey, I need to go worship Artemis. I need to go pray to Artemis. They would take money, pay a temple tax and sleep with a temple prostitute. Now, why would Ephesians do that in the first century? Well, Artemis was believed to be the goddess of fertility. So, if you were struggling with having children, you would go to Artemis and worship with one of the uh, uh, temple prostitutes. Also, it was the center of banking in the Ephesian culture. Now, I I can't—I'll be honest—I can't remember if the bank was in the temple or sort of in the kind of the main courts. You know, sort of like an outlet mall sort of a deal. And so there was this beautiful and demonic branding that went with Ephesus. Not only was Ephesus a place of worship, but Ephesus was where you did your banking. And then thirdly, if you like murdered somebody or committed a crime or someone was after you, uh, Artemis and temples of false gods were uh, established as places of refuge. So, like, you could go cap somebody that stole money from you and not get arrested if you made it to the Temple of Artemis before, you know, the cops or however they did that in the first century. One other thing that's interesting about Artemis is they had their own version of Mardi Gras, right? They had their own version of MTV Spring Break, and it looked like this. There was a festival celebrating Artemis, and they would make these little gods, and by by the way, there were men in the church of Ephesus that gained their employment by making these little dolls that would be in houses all throughout the first century. Talk, talk about taking your faith to work and wondering, am I, am I, should I be doing this? And so there was a festival where they would create a much larger scale of Artemis, and they would parade her around the city. And there's one point in which they would dip her into, uh, to be honest, I don't remember the name of the lake, but some body of water, sort of as as you would knight a knight, a king or whatever, and say, this is our God. Now, you ready for this? You're not. This is going to blow your mind. This is why... Paul writes these words, husbands, love your wives. See, in the first century, it wasn't like mind-blowing that a man would say, wives, submit to your husbands, because they didn't have an option. What would have been mind-blowing in the first century that any man would call other men to look at their wives, not as property, but actually people, And so the big mind-blowing statement in the Bible isn't wives submit to your husbands, it's uh, husbands, you need to actually love your wives. We are Christians. We don't sleep with prostitutes. We are Christians. We don't look at porn on our phones, men, when our our wives are ticking us off. We are Christians. We don't go to the bank of Artemis to to somehow believe our security uh, is in a false God. We are Christian men. We don't say, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the kids. I'm going to go have a midlife crisis, sleep with somebody, go buy a car. I'm out of here. We we are Christian men, Paul is saying. We We don't go to Artemis for refuge and protection. Our God is a God of refuge. Our God is a God of protection. Husbands, love your wives. This is not the norm in your city. This is not the norm in America. Do you know the porn industry makes more money than all pro sports combined? Do you know that we still objectify women? And all the women are like, duh. Do you know that we demonize and make men to be little boys in the church? Especially on Father's Day. Oh, we make a big deal on, on, for moms on Mother's Day, because you should, right? As a pastor, you can't mess up Easter or Mother's Day. I get that. But when we get to Father's Day, it's like, man, man, you need to step up. I'm not here to bust your chops, men. I'm just here to tell you, you don't have a shot of of Ephesians 5, 25 through 28 if you're not willing to submit to Jesus. I don't care how much theology you know. The Pharisees knew more than you'll... The the Pharisees will forget their theology. How do I want to say this? They will forget more scripture than you'll ever memorize, and yet they murdered Jesus. Smart people can still be rebellious people. And I don't know if I've read this, but I'm going to do it again because I'm up here anyways. He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and to make her holy. How do you make your wife holy? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You follow Jesus. Holiness and righteousness are ethics that you cannot attain. Anybody, any any atheist can be a good person. You don't have to be religious to be good, but you have to be a Jesus follower to be righteous. You do have to be a Jesus follower to be holy, because these are ethics that you cannot obtain. These are ethics that are claimed over you by somebody that already is holy, somebody that already is righteous. And he says, men, cleanse your wife by the washing with water through the word. Hello. Hello. We don't we don't baptize false gods in rivers. That's weird. That's not our God. We don't baptize little goddesses of fertility and water and put all of our hope and claim in them. We baptize our wives by reading scripture over them. Is anybody alive or just me? All right. All the women are alive. We, we 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 don't do those things because we're Christians. And it's hard. It's hard to be a dude in the first century. It's hard to be a dude right now. You're sitting, eating, you know, lunchables with your family, and there's the Artemis parade, right? And you're like, boys, cover your eyes, right? Like, it's hard. It's not easy. We haven't learned anything. Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant. Are you kidding me? We haven't learned anything, and yet the call is still here today. And in verse 28, in the same way, you should love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. I want to close with this story. Man, I shouldn't have worn a sweater today. Uh, 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 When I was in Ohio, uh, I met one of my favorite humans. Uh, Her name is uh, Michelle. Jesus did say, you'll do do greater things than I. And uh, I think she would have given Michelle a run for her money in discipleship. Uh, she, di- she discipled so many uh, high school boys and girls, it was just, it was insane. I'm like, they should have hired you, not me. We were cleaning up uh, after a party, and um, I don't have time to get into it, but their son, who was 15, passed away tragically. And it was kind of in that season, and she looked at me and she said, now her husband, great guy, like farmer, it was a farming community, blue collar, j- j- just a good guy, but you know, rough around the edges. And uh, she said to me, you know, um, uh, my, my husband's been a, been a little rough with me lately, he hasn't been gentle. So I don't know if you know this, but that's code for like abuse. And if you're a domineering man, a church is really great to hide and to continue to do that. But then RCC hired me and I could sniff that out like the back of my hand. So I'm not going to allow that to happen. I don't say that to be like, I'm awesome. I just say that to be like, if that's you, you either talk to me or you should leave because we want women to flourish here and she said, um, she said, here's the thing that I pray about for my husband. I pray that my husband would one day submit to the Lord so that we could have an intimacy that we've never experienced. Because if he does not submit himself to the Lord and become a Christian, if he does not, uh, and you do this in baptism, you're submitting yourself to, uh, hopefully you pick someone that you like to baptize you, and submitting yourself under the water, right, and you come out, like, that's just a visual declaration that life is not about me, and I need help. I'm submitting myself under the teachings of Jesus, and I come out raised to life just, just like Jesus. And she said, that's my prayer. It's because we will have a good marriage, maybe a fruitful marriage, but we won't have a Jesus marriage until my husband gives himself fully. Then he says something, then she says something that I'll never forget. Greater than the act of sexual intimacy is my desire for my husband to know Jesus. Think about that. Greater than the act of sexual intimacy is my desire for my husband to actually know, love, and follow Jesus. Now, we don't do these baptism classes because we should and it's fun and we're a church. We're doing these baptism classes because Ephesians 5 is a joke if men and women are not willing to submit themselves to the teachings of Jesus. So, I'm going to pray in just a second. We're going to stand and continue in worship. But we do have a baptism class today. It, 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 if you've said, like, I, I followed Jesus my whole life, maybe I, I got baptized as a baby, th- that's fine. Th- that was meaningful to your parents. But you need to make a decision on, on your own. Because this is, like, just, just keeping it real. Like, this is all theory. Like, it's just another religious teacher. But until we submit our hearts to Christ first, th- th- this won't make sense. This won't make sense. And we'll just have a nice you know, church with men and women that are nice people, they love God, but not yet fully submitted to him. So if I could put all my cards on, on, on the deck for you, if I could cash in all my relational equity that I may have with you, I wanna invite you at, at the end of the service, no one's gonna stare at you, but at the end of the service to come up, speak to me or one of our baptism team's volunteers, and we would gladly take you to that class or gladly talk you through what it actually means to be baptized, man? Can you imagine a church in a world where men and women were submitting to Christ first, and that just only uh, that only matured and developed their relationships? So let me pray, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, really hard scriptures. Uh, I think if the Bible doesn't offend us or doesn't cause us to have questions, I'm not sure if we're reading it honestly. Um, and so, Lord, we just confess, we, we do. We still live in a world where, where women are um, to be controlled, dominated over. And in uh, a church, that, that, that can easily be allowed. And so we, we pray against that. And we pray for our men in this room and our women in this room, that, that they would submit first and foremost to you. That if they have not been baptized, uh, on their own decision, that they would come forward after the service and talk to myself or someone on our baptism team. We're not here to be religious, Jesus. You you wrote a book called Galatians that told us not to. And we, we want that relationship with you. And so we invite your spirit to move in this room as we sing this next song. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.